about six heads of department, all of whom were fighting each other for a bigger chunk of the marketing budget. Um, and some of those divisions were much more profitable than others. Some were much more, had a greater cash flow than others. And they asked me to facilitate a session to try and overcome this. And so my answer to that was to leave one chair empty on the board, at the board table. And I put a sign on in front of the chair that just said, our customer. It changed the conversation entirely because um, implied that one of our customers was sitting in that chair. Um, and how impressed would they be to hear us all fighting about the marketing budget. It, it really did change the, the culture of the organization quite significantly. They were all then pulling in the same direction, more than was the case than had been otherwise. And that was just a stunt. Hello and welcome to Better Conversations with me, Siham Cyrene, where we have conversations about good and rubbish conversations. If you'd like to appear on the show or have a burning question or consider yourself opinionated about conversations, please do drop me a line. Podcast at betterconversations.co. I'm all ears. So, just how creative are you in setting up conversations with clients? Have you pulled any stunts or wowed them in a way that gave them no option but to hire you? Conversations can play out in predictable ways, especially in client or sales pitches. You do the meet and greet, introductions, thank yous, and you probably dive straight into how great your thingamajig is. But do you ever really manage to stop your prospect in their tracks with a thought-provoking idea or a new way to view their problem or business challenge? Do you surprise or delight them? My guest Mark Wormsley does and has many times over. He thrives on talking to people and so networking is a comfort zone for him. And not just talking to people but having interesting dialogue you get the sense that Mark is looking at your problem or situation with a different lens, one you sometimes wish you had. He has energy, but he's calm. He's playful in an easy and humble way rather than a showy limelight way. And he holds up a mirror for you without making you feel judged. Once you listen to this episode, you'll get why people say they feel more creative when Mark's around. He has loads of stories to share and he switches between work stories and family stories because for Mark, relationships are all about conversations. Something I experienced with you, Mark, and um, you've said yourself that this is some an experience other people have of you, is that um, they have better ideas when you're around. Why don't you tell us what you do that makes that happen? Okay, that, that was a, a lovely little quote. It was a compliment in disguise really because um, it's not me having the ideas often and it's generally the, the, the people I work with don't seem able to have those ideas on their own um, but they they come out of that collaborative creative process which is lovely um, so crikey how far back um, I'm a marketing consultant um, and I've been doing digital and traditional marketing in one form or another for as long as I've known you, um, 30 years, I've, I've, I've started and built digital and web design agencies and marketing agencies and entertainment and event production companies over the years. Um, but I'm now a freelance marketing consultant. But what I've done over the last few years is to distill all of that expertise and experience into a system that's delivered through workshops. And that's called 
Perella, uh, more of which later, I'm sure. Um, and that's an opportunity for me to work with um, business owner managers and marketing leaders to help them explore and capture what makes them different, better and remarkable. Um, a huge number of organizations and brands uh, don't do that. Um, and it makes everything you then subsequently do much more impactful. So that's where I spend a lot of my time. I wondered if you could share initially what you feel is uh, a better conversation. I gave this some thought before um, we started chatting. And um, I suspect like many, mainly male members of our species, I, I've, <laughs> I have the temptation um, while I'm having a conversation to plan what I'm going to say next rather than to listen attentively to what um, is being said. Um, and so uh, the better conversations are the ones that I have now where I, where I do a bit more listening and, and trying to read between or listen between the lines, I say. Um, so I, I've got an awful lot better at, at that. I, I'm also conscious that um, when one is expressing a concept or trying to share an opinion, um, we as individuals know an awful lot more about that than the recipient of that information. So one of the key things I've tried to do in having conversations is, is really to is to pace it um, and, and leave pauses in conversation um, to give um, whoever I'm speaking to an opportunity to uh, digest what I've just said. Um, because I, I will rehearse a public speaking spot for days um, and the, the temptation is to just rattle through it and, and, and overlook the fact that what you're saying is new for many of the people that you're speaking to. So I'm a, a drummer and percussionist by training, so I know about timing. Um, and I also know that the, it's the notes that you don't play that make the ones that you do much more meaningful. Um, so yes, so I think pace and attention are, are key in those circumstances. That's a, that's a nice way to describe it. Um, and that's definitely true. I think I see that in um, interactions between people at work. And so, yes, yeah, slowing down um, is a good one. Mm. Do you, are you aware of when you realised that this was really important in your conversations? Uh, yes, it was... Um... When I was um, the commercial director at one of the agencies um, I've uh, worked at over the years, we had a, a specialist come in to teach us a little bit more about um, presenting in public, and it was for the pitch team for the agency. Um, and that's a, a, a really good example of, of, of the need for pacing and some space, because in order to get um, those uh, concepts over that might win you that pitch, uh, you need they need to sink in. Um, and, and especially during the conversations that might, um, might follow that presentation. So that was one moment where I, I, it really um, sank in for me that, that one needs to, to pause and allow what you're saying to be digested. We went on to win the pitch. Yay, fantastic. Which was great. <laughs> so um, on the flip side of that, worst conversation, what, what, how would you characterise that? So I th it's down to the, I, I'm a firm believer that conversations are effectively the currency of relationships. And in business, relationships are the key to success. Um, 
that's especially the case if you if what you're selling or making available is a big ticket item that might have an 18 month or two year buying cycle um the relationships are what keep you on the radar um when you're mm. in a stage of the buying cycle that isn't live as it were um so it's it's the content and its delivery that that are really important and i was reminded um by a uh, a friend um, to listen carefully to what people t say, especially politicians, um, because if the opposite of what they're saying mm. is unacceptable, then they're not communicating anything of value. So, uh, for example, I, I was doorstepped by a, an electoral candidate once who said that she wanted um, better education, a stronger economy and safer streets, for example. Now, if you're having a conversation and you say something like that, um, the alternative to those or the opposite of those is is entirely unacceptable. So you're not as a politician actually communicating anything of value. And the same thing happens in business, I think, when the content is around, oh, our products are built to last, uh, they're easy to use, um, and we, we give great customer service. Not doing any of those three things um, will will have you out of business pretty soon. So what I love about uh, conversations is when I'm learning something new and, and people are telling me how and why they do things, not not what they do, because the opposite is often unacceptable. And similarly, um, conversations that don't have that um, integrity in inverted commas um, are the bad ones. Um, so, yeah, that would be, that, that's when I start struggling in conversations when um, the person I'm speaking to, and hopefully it's not me too, um, isn't really communicating, isn't really communicating anything of value. Not wishing to put you on the spot, but for that politician, for example, what would have made you keep the door open? So I'd want to know how they intend to make the seats, the streets safer. Um, 20,000 extra policemen might well do it. Um, I'd want to know what measures they're going to take to boost the economy um, and support um, small businesses in particular. Um, that, that kind of how and why rather than this is what we're going to do, that would have that would have helped. And I try and do this when I'm writing. When I'm writing for projects, I, I, I keep that question uppermost in my mind. Is the person who's either listening to me speaking or reading what I've written um, gaining some insight in into how and why I'm doing what I'm doing or saying what I'm saying, because that comes down to the to, to capturing what's different and better and remarkable. Do you use questions in your uh, as part of your toolkit when you're talking to your clients? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I I can't remember who coined the phrase, but um, one that I keep in mind an awful lot is seek first to understand um the mm. it, it's a great place to start a conversation i think the other little nugget that somebody told me once was um if you want to be the most imp important person in the room make everybody feel that they are um and that and that means um listening and showing interest um and the questions yeah i mean there, there are some old sales technique questions of never never closing a never finishing a sentence always give the person you're speaking to an opportunity to to respond um so yes i do and it's it, 
it, yeah, seek first to understand because if you open up a conversation in, in that respect and show interest in the the thoughts and opinions of the person that you're you're speaking to, um, that engenders respect, a, a mutual respect, which um, which is great. And uh, the other thing I try and do in in all sorts of engagement, actually, not just in verbal conversations, is to is, is to leave the person I'm speaking to um, in my debt. So, uh, for example, I was a I've done quite a bit of business development in my career, but if you put business development on your name badge at a conference, no one will speak to you um, for, for, for obvious <laughs> reasons. Um, right. So, but if you're the strategy director, then the suggest the implication is that talking to you is going to result in some free consultation um, and expertise. And so um, I, I've, I've played that card a few times where, um, you know, the, the conversation has been, you know, uh, uh, one where I've um, demonstrated a, a real interest in somebody and the work they do and the business that they're in, and, and I'm and I then become fascinated by um, what the challenges and opportunities are and why they've failed to to to, to meet those. I, I I think part of the part of this ability to this ability I have to show inordinate amounts of interest in what might otherwise be. Um, quite a dry subject is because I don't believe I'm terribly intelligent, um, and <laughs> okay, and that that means unlike someone like Stephen Fry, um, I, I'm not easily bored. I would hate to be Stephen Fry, bless him, and, and he's a, you know, I, I I've read pretty much every word he's written, um, but he must get bored so quickly. I mean, so um, he would be on my uh, dream dinner party list, by the way. Um, but the, <laughs> um, but because I'm, I get, I get enthusiastic quite quickly about subjects about which many people more intelligent than me would, would, would be a little bit, um, put off by, or a little bit bored by perhaps. So I don't find it hard to get enthusiastic about things. No, and I, and I can, uh, I can second that um, from having worked with you, um, that the, the lasting memory of, of the work that we did together was your enthusiasm, the ideas that, <clears throat> that you generated um, or helped us generate, and um, just that eternal curiosity about, um, you know, what was, what was important here, what, what is it that needs to be done or achieved. And um, so, uh, and I know that stayed with me, that curiosity, that, uh, that appetite to be curious about so many different subjects. Um, I think you do yourself a disservice by saying um, you're not very intelligent, but, um, you know, but I know what you mean about the, you know, just there is so much to know out there and there is so much that, um, that people we work with know about their fields and so how do you draw that out of them how do you take what they know and shape it into something that communicates something of value mm. I, I also had a thought about those labels at networking events um are awful I mean you know yes your name okay I get that but you know having to put your job title on there um is uh is as you say it's a quick way to close up a conversation um what would be a better thing to put on in in place of the job description what I've, should people put on there i've i've used turtle wrangler 
before now. And purely, <laughs> purely just to get that reaction that you just gave me, um, I've, I've, um, I have a, a friend who always wears the badge upside down. Um, but I don't know if you've heard of the story about Scott Ginsburg, um, who uh, Scott um, went to um, a networking event and a, at a conference and accidentally left his name badge on and went to the bar at 530 and realized, and the conference was about how to make brand, <laughs> the conference was about how to make brands more approachable, okay? Um, and so he, he accidentally left the name badge on and stood at the bar and one after the other, people came up to him and said, Scott, your, um, your name badge is still on. And um, he suddenly realized that he'd, he'd um, captured something that might be use, useful. He kept the badge on for eight years. Um, and he's now one of the leading, or the leading um, approachability consultants in the US. Uh, he even had a tattoo. Well, there you go. He even did, had a tattoo made um, so that he still had his badge on when he was on the beach. And, and that's, <laughs> you know, this story. is, this is the like thing. It. This is conversations are so much easier when um, there is an element of difference and, and importantly, cognitive dissonance as well. Um, my wife is an accountant, but she won't tell you that. She'll tell you she's a forensic accountant and that makes her Sherlock Holmes. Um, so, and, and if you said, you know, when she introduces herself at events, I'm a forensic accountant, suddenly some people lean in instead of away. Um, and, and want to know more. So um, mm. it, it's, it's just capturing, um, capturing something that, that people can, can grab onto. That The work um, that I, uh, I've recently done with an osteopath was, was fascinating. Um, my colleague uh, Rory is an osteopath, and he said, until he spent an hour with me, he said, I'm an osteopath. Now, the problem with that is that... Um, Many people don't know what an osteopath does, um, but even if they did, um, he's just like every other osteopath. So the, the work that we did in a conversation um, was to try and pull out something that would make him capture something that had people drawing in. So he's now a preventative osteopath. Um, he works with people who don't want to get stiff joints rather than people who've already got stiff joints. And the market, mm -hmm. the market, the market for that is much much bigger, as you can imagine. But so it that what that does is is um, it allows people to ask him to tell them more because of, they don't on the face of it understand the word preventative in terms of osteo osteopathy. But actually, what it does is it masks their lack of understanding about osteopathy as well. So if he goes to an event now and somebody says. Uh, uh, I'm an osteopath. You go, oh, that's nice, and that's the end of the conversation because they don't want to demonstrate that they have no clue what an osteopath does, which is many people. But if you say I'm a preventative osteopath, you can justifiably say, oh, tell me more about that, without giving away the fact that you have no clue what an osteopath does. So, in terms of um, sort of triggering and extending conversations, um, those are the little tactics that come out of that process of finding something different and remarkable about what you do there's a there's a, uh, a sense of creativity a sense of also fun in in it um in that you are inviting um someone to come and talk to you and to ask and um there's there's a playfulness about it is there not 
Am I, yeah. or am I making that up? No, no, I, I think uh, humour is really, really important in, in, in those conversations. And for example, I heard a lovely one the other day. It was probably one of the cleverest strap lines I've ever seen. Um, and it was developed for a funeral director. And their strap line is, we will be the last ones to let you down. Now, <laughs> that, <laughs> that just had me laughing, just as you did, because it's so clever. Um, the, the, the puns are in there. The double meaning is in there. Um, and and if, when I saw that, I, I immediately wanted to know more about the, you know, I, I just wanted to understand uh, how that came up. And so, I, you know, I, I, wanted to speak, I wanted to give them a call and speak to them and say, look, I just love that. The other lovely one I saw was for a camping store, which was um, now is the winter of our discount tents. And again, the, you know, if you, if you, if you converse creatively mm -hmm. like that, um, those will not mm -hmm. only uh, produce a good conversation, that they'll start them um, and extend them because uh, creativity belongs in every walk of life and uh, even for a funeral director. Um, and it, it, it's, it's such a powerful um, uh, um, application of, of kind of subtle humour and cleverness, I think. Humour is, uh, you know, it's come up before with a, with a previous guest um, about the, the power of humour, but also it's quite a delicate tool to use and um you know in certain settings it can be um misread or misunderstood and you've got to be find a level of comfort yourself to be able to carry that through um <laughs> even if it makes some people feel uncomfortable but the in something like funeral directors it's it's a somber event potentially but i, I think also a celebratory event and uh and yeah i mean how how do you want to how do you want to go mm. um we are afraid to use humor do you think that's a fair statement yeah and i think it also occurs to me that conversations between people in the same company or working in a team um are, you know that they vary enormously as well i i do quite a bit of um recruiting um, for clients who need marketing uh, team members. And when, when I've placed somebody, I, I then mentor them into it. So one of the things I advise them to do is size up everybody else before they get a chance to size up you. And, and, and what I meant by that was that levels of familiarity and indeed humor are more or less appropriate in certain types of relationship. Um, and what you often see is somebody will come storming in as the, as the new person, um, and 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 adopt the same level of familiarity uh, with everybody they have to work with, and, and it's that that doesn't work. But in order to find that balance for each of the people, you need to. It's wise to keep your head down, your mouth shut, and your ear, both ears open um, to understand the 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 nuance of the team, so that when you do start opening up to people in your in the team that you're working with, you can converse um, and have a giggle if necessary or not as appropriate with the right people because the same application of familiarity won't go down um, equally well with all colleagues. And the same is true in, in when networking, for example. It's always worth doing a lot of listening so that you understand where 
the extent to which you can introduce humor um, and what that person's level of interest might be. So, you know, that, that's a bit of advice I often give to, to new starters in teams. Size everybody else up before they get a chance to size you up. Yeah. That's great. Uh, wise words. And um, yeah, very often we do um, stumble into situations and find that we, and I'm guilty of it too sometimes, of of interrupting um, a conversation and, um, and not having gauged it uh, well, not having gauged the stage very well, mm. um, and then feeling uh, a little bit uncomfortable or having to backtrack or you know, cut your losses, mm. yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, being able to take the time to see what are the relationships here? What's, you know, what's appropriate, what's the level of humor, um, and some patience to maybe introduce your own humor, um, as, as people get to know you and get familiar with you. Mm. I, people love it. The office joker. Um, uh, but that's not always the smartest career move. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, Mark, what would be your worst habit in conversations? Oh, crikey! Um, I, I think I, I think there's a lovely uh, comedy sketch. I think it was the two Ronnies, where uh, the, the 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 two guys are having a conversation at the bar, and um, and one can't resist finishing the sentence of the other hesitant one. Um, and it's extremely funny if you find it on YouTube, but um, I can't think of an example, but I'm guilty of, of a certain type of that. I, I, I tend to race ahead of a conversation and try and identify where something might be leading. Um, and so I'm, the, the danger there is that you're answering the question you think is just about to be asked. Um, that there's, and there was, a, I think there's a famous mastermind sketch as well, where somebody's answering the, the question, before the one they've just been answered and it's hilarious that so that's always worth a look but yeah i think i, I tend to race away and make certain <laughs> assumptions in in conversations um the danger of, 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 of the other danger is that um especially if you're having a conversation which involves more than two people um is you can often get lost in thought about a, a cutting response to something that actually was said five minutes ago you come diving in and realize that the conversation has moved on because you weren't listening. You just wanted to come up with something really clever to say. Um, but actually, the t again, the timing's out. You know, the, it's, the moment's gone. Time to move on then. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's true. It's, it's keeping up with, um, it's keeping, staying present to what's actually being discussed and where, where it's going. And also asking those questions, asking for, you know, a little bit more depth to what somebody is saying. Be in the present of the conversation. Um, don't try and second guess what's coming up, and certainly don't try and answer something that was asked five minutes ago. And if you if you're if you're in the present of the conversation and right on the um, on the money with with what's being discussed and and the nuances of that conversation, that's the point at which you have the opportunity, should you choose to, to to steer it slightly. But if you're in the past or the future of a, of a conversation, you don't have your hands on the wheel. And I wonder for you, um, as, as you were talking there, uh, what was occurring to me, when people say they have better ideas when you're around, um, is it that you are helping people think to a greater depth to think more broadly about what they're doing to think in creative ways 
Uh, I guess, yeah. I, I, I have three questions that I ask myself at any uh, crucial decision-making moment, and it has worked into my professional life as well. And there are three questions. And the first is, are we addressing the real need? The second question is, have we informed ourselves of all of the options? And the third one is, have we thought all of those options through to their logical conclusion? Because if the answer to either of those three questions is no, then a good decision is not being made. And if a conversation is being conducted in order to make decisions, um, then that, that I often put that up on the screen. Um, you know, we, we've got to decide what to do about this. We have you know, a decision has to be made. We're going to talk about it. Um, but let's keep in mind those three questions, because if we're not addressing the need, looking at all of the options and thinking them through, um, then we're in, in great danger of making a bad decision. So um, that's, a, that's a nice little um, reminder yeah, I love it. during those conversations. And, and that saved me my bacon on a number of occasions in the past. And, and when it's done as a group, um, it, it's even more powerful because the options come out. Um, one of the things that my wife Jo is particularly good at is, is seeing the third way. So we'll be chatting about a, a challenge or an opportunity that we've got, um, either domestically or professionally. Um, and she is always the one who comes up with the, well, hang on a minute, why don't we consider doing this? And it, and I, it wouldn't have come to me. And actually, it wouldn't have come to her if we hadn't been having that conversation in a, in a constructive way. So what, what, what's great and my, what I love about conversations in general, particularly the good ones, is when something is captured and communicated and documented that wouldn't have emerged in isolation. Um, and that's the, that's the creative um, process. And so what I try to do, um, and I've facilitated a number of um, innovation days, um, is, is capture um, the, the thought process of all of the people who are contributing to the conversation. Um, because, and, and that's what I think um, was meant when somebody kindly said, we have better ideas when you're around. I, I, I'm not a, I, I don't come up with the answers. I come, I create the environment in which you guys come up with the answers. Um, and I, and ideas, you can't go further up, further upstream than a great idea. You know, all of the best achievements in human history started with somebody having a creative idea that hadn't been had before. Um, and that's where, that's the exciting part of, 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 of a business life is look, okay, this is the challenge. We've seen this opportunity. How are we going, you know, what can we do that's going to help us meet that challenge or opportunity? Um, and come out stronger the other side. The, it's, the creative process is is uh, is it requires that kind of collaboration, and and that's facilitated by great conversations. Yeah, and also, I, I, you have a persona and a presence, Mark, that I think supports that. Um, you certainly make it really easy to start having ideas and have conversations and explore things. Um, your your presence is one that uh, probably everyone relaxes into, right? And they feel comfortable um, being in a room with you um, because all ideas are great. Um, and you, from experience, you build on ideas. Um, there's, I, I can't recall you ever saying, that's a rubbish idea. <laughs> but you're also always building on 
um, somebody else's idea. Um, and so you're, you're validating the contribution that people are making. Um, but also in terms of your body language, I think you're also very um, someone very easy to be around. Your facial expressions are very welcoming. You know, you've usually got a smile on your face um, and an openness about you. Um, is that something that sounds familiar or you recognize? It is. I think I have my father to thank for most of that. Um, my father was um, notorious for uh, for his lack of confrontational stance. Um, and uh, he was very constructive um, about the way he, he communicated. But I, I'm one of the fortunate ones who, who can't remember my mother and father uh, rowing. Um, at, and at, because he he was um, accommodating, um, capable of seeing the other side of the debate and the argument, and and would seek that um, that kind of conversational win win. Um, so I have him to, to to thank for that, I think. But I, it's also I, th I think my approach and my calmness in those situations, and I do think I I, I have been described as quite calm. Um, has worked at home as well because um, you know the, the the more than one of my immediate family uh, members has have described me as the as the glue that makes it all work. Um, and in order to do that and to be that person, you you do need to be able to see to give the benefit of the doubt, um, think it through, uh, seek first to understand, that, so that you can um, converse and give a, and share opinions in, in a way that's constructive um I, you know i've been in meetings where there's clearly been uh, a takeover person involved um and or where everybody's been infighting uh, i'll give you an example I, I did some consulting for a big removal company um and they they're an international removal company and they have a number of different divisions from residential to fine art to business international about six heads of department, all of whom were fighting each other for a bigger chunk of the marketing budget. Um, and some of those divisions were much more profitable than others. Some were much more, had a greater cash flow than others. And they asked me to facilitate a session to try and overcome this. And so my answer to that was to leave one chair empty on the board, at the board table. And I put a sign on in front of the chair that just said, our customer. Now, what that did was that it, it changed the conversation entirely because um, the, the conversation was conducted in a way that implied that the, one of our customers was sitting in that chair. Um, and how impressed would they be to hear us all fighting about the marketing budget? You know, and it, it really did change the, the culture of the organization quite significantly because they were, they, they, they were all then pulling in the same direction more than was the case than had been otherwise. And that was just a stunt, you know, but, um, but genius, well, it, it worked. So, and they went on and, and, uh, you know, it was one, I got a call from the managing director a, a couple of years later, um, to thank me because they had absolutely flown as a business and, and, and developed really well. Um, and he said, we, we had a board meeting and we were trying to track back where, what the origin was for that change of fortunes in the business. And he said, I have to tell you, it was that meeting. Um, you triggered something with that sign um, that 
that got people working together. So international and residential were teaming up and doing marketing projects together. Fine art and um, commercial were swapping leads in ways that they'd never done before. It was, it was six, comp- six, wow. separate, six separate companies came together and became one. And um, so it, 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 it's, it's tiny little things that can have a huge impact. Um, another example, briefly, if I may, is the, um, the advert for Levi's featuring Nick Kamen doing the stonewashing stripping off in the laundrette and throwing his jeans in in the in the tumble dryer with some stones um and the soundtrack i can't remember what it was but um might have been addicted to love i can't remember but um levi few people know that levi's were on their knees literally as a business before that advert broke and it came the concept came out of a 30-minute meeting with their ad agency um and is widely credited with the, the, the turnaround of, um, of Levi's. Um, sadly, I suspect the advertising agents, well, actually it was many years ago, so they were probably charging a commission on the TV advert as well. But um, the, you know, how much would that, did that 30 minute minute, that 30 minute meeting cost? Probably nothing in comparison to, to the results. So what I love, I love um, interactions and interjections like that, that can, on the face of it, are very simple and um, uh, the sort of thing that you wish you'd thought of yourself often, but they can have huge downstream impacts. And and, uh, and conversations, of course, are part of that. And, and generally, those smart ideas come out come out of um, those conversations. Uh, and what I like about the removal um, scenario, removal company, is that by almost by putting the customer there in the room you you um created accountability um mm. in a very um non-threatening way um you focused them but there was also that accountability because at the end of the day that's you're serving your customer uh, yeah th- that has to be the focus um any organizations that are this is another one of those comments that people say, you know, we're particularly customer focused. Well, I'm afraid the opposite is unacceptable. <laughs> um, so right. <laughs> right. It, it kind of, it's, it's, it's advanced common sense, at, at the, you know, mostly. Um, and one of the comments I often hear is, is, is the simplicity of the process and the thought process. And I said, well, the reason that this, that, that conversation sounded simple whether it's a web, um, a workshop or a, or a meeting, is, is because it's it's addressing the the essential elements of, of why you're doing what you're doing, um, and so it, you know that that that's what that's why it feels simple. Um, most of the in other areas of life, things that uh, was who's it? Uh, I think it was was it Mark Twain or Churchill or somebody said, um, um, "I've written you a long letter. I'm sorry I didn't have time to write you a short one." Um, the, <laughs> Twain, yes. The, Twain, I think, yeah. Um, and, you know, that, that's it. You know, um, some of the things that appear to be extremely simple actually take a bit of work. Um, and, and I think the outcome of a conversation is, is, is uh, you know, has, has some resonance with that concept, I think. You have a great story uh, about one of the best conversations you've ever had. I do. Would you like to share that? Yeah, so I was um, thinking about 
good and bad conversations. Um, the, the worst one was the politician on the doorstep, obviously, but um, from which I learned a huge amount, I have to say. So I, I can't remember who it was, but um, I also learned an, an equal amount from my young daughter, Millie. Um, we were lying together in, in bed um, early on a Sunday morning when she was tiny um staring at a very white ceiling with very little to see and she wanted to play i spy um i and i thought okay all i can see is the ceiling we're lying on our back but off you go sweetheart and she came up with you and uh, the letter u and i i thought okay either she's playing a, a game with me here or i can't see um and and i said look I, I have no idea, sweetheart. Um, and she said, it's us, silly. Um, mm -hmm. And she, that reminded me that um, even it, it's not, you have to dig a bit deeper. And that, that, that phrase that I, I sometimes use, listen between the lines, is, is really um, comes from that. And that was, that was her being childlike. Um, uh, but she didn't realize mm. how, cle how clever she was being in terms of teaching me a really good lesson that you just have to you know, open your mind to all of those um, possibilities. Um, and, but that was lovely. Yeah, I, I, I frequently remind her of it now that she's 18. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's great because often the, often the answer is right there, isn't it? And yeah. we can't, we can't see it. And, um, it, what it speaks to for the person that can see it or the person who's, who has been stimulated to be creative to see it is it speaks to their personal values um, of what's important to them in that moment or in their work or mm. why they put in the hours that they do um, for their passions. So yeah. clearly for your daughter, that moment with you was everything it was it was great it's yeah we'll both um tell that story for years and years I, I, i'm sure but you need people like that you need two people like that in a in a creative conversation you need somebody who can think a little differently and you need somebody who can um learn from that um which is really important i i, I read somewhere about a, a session that hewlett-packard did i think oh no it might have been xerox um it was a meeting about technical development for photocopiers. And they, did, they decided to be extremely creative about it. And they, they um, the, the problem that they were facing was that um, their copiers were being, were getting blocked. You know, the paper was getting jammed in some of their copiers. So some bright spark somewhere said, okay, let's bring somebody in who knows about blocks. So they brought a nasal surgeon into the meeting um, who obviously knows a lot about block noses um and uh, on the face of it you think what on earth you know um but what what came out of that conversation and it was a good one um was the realization that nobody at xerox had picked up on that is that when when a human gets a block nose it's only one side that blocks um and the reason that we have a a, a, a double um passage nasal um uh, nose, nose. Is, is is absolutely for that reason because in most cases and check it out the next time you get a cold it's generally one side or the other it's very rarely both 
And so that creative process got them thinking at Xerox and they said, okay, we need two paper feeds so that when one um, paper feed gets blocked, the other one just takes over and the copy continues. So that's what happened in their next release wow. of their, their photocopier. But it came out of that juxtaposition um, of two seemingly unconnected concepts and disciplines that produced an answer that worked. Um, and I, I would love to have been in that conversation. Um, another, um, I think there was uh, some, there was another company, I think it might have been Findus, who do all the um, frozen vegetables. Um, they had a problem in that it takes carrot, frozen carrots longer to cook than a small piece of broccoli. Um, but you want to throw it in all at the same time in the stir fry. Um, I can't quite remember the details of the creative process, but what they ended up doing was producing a, an oil that changed color when it reached the, the optimum temperature to cook everything uh, equally. So, uh, but that, wow. that, I know. So you, you put the oil in the pan, you put the heat on when the oil turns a certain color, that's when you throw the food in and that's the optimum temperature for, for equally cooking all of those ingredients the dif different sizes. So, but again, they, I think they, um, they had some kind of role-playing exercise uh, for that, and, uh, but that would not have come, that realization and that solution would not, could not have been reached without that creative process of lots of people thinking differently about the, the challenge. And lots of people, everyone bring, is bringing something to it. Um, taken in isolation might not work, mm, but yeah. the combination of, of ideas or the adaptation or iteration of an idea yeah. can um, yeah. produce something. Yeah, Colla collaborative creativity is a, is a two plus two equals five thing. Um, and of course, mm. it depends on good conversations. What are you good at in conversations? I, I think I, I, I've been accused, <laughs> that's the right word, I've been accused of the overuse of analogy. Um, so I will often pick up on, an, uh, on a concept or a, or a statement and, and come back with something along the lines of, do you know what, uh, that's, that's rather like, and then I go on. Um, so, yes, I was once asked to come up with a, a concept that would describe the descent into schizophrenia. And this came out of a very creative conversation. And the end result um, was used um, and still is. Um, so the idea, we, we were trying to paint scenes of, uh, that would produce analogies. Um, and the analogy I came up with was um, somebody walking a, across the top of a, a shale cliff um, and gradually realizing that they're slipping down to the left away from the path in this movable shale. Um, and if they realize they're slipping, a very small tree will halt their descent. But if they don't realize that they're slipping and they don't go for that small tree, they will travel faster and faster. Um, and the same size tree will not slow their descent. Um, and the people I spoke to who'd been working in in schizophrenia loved that analogy because it allowed people to understand the importance of catching somebody early in those circumstances. And it became a campaign that was extremely successful. Um, but had I not had that approach to sharing analogies in conversations, um, that, that wouldn't have emerged. So I think, yeah, 
analogies is what I'm good at in conversation. Brilliant. What would you like to leave listeners with as a message about conversation? I, th I think um, I, what I'd say, I think, is, the, is what I, I think I mentioned a little earlier, that I'm firmly of the, the opinion that conversations are the currency of relationship, um, if you like, and that if you're in business, um, then relationships are the key to success, especially if you're in the kind of business that um, requires uh, the development of trust and respect in order for a transaction to happen. So, um, and, and again, listening between the lines, I think um, that there is, I, I have a, I'm, I'm quite well known for recording as many conversations as I have as possible, um, obviously with the participants' um, agreement. But um, I find that when I listen back to a meeting that I can, uh, and I do it once or twice if it's a really important meeting, there is so much that you miss. So my mm. advice my, my advice for, um, for anybody in a professional or consulting scenario or trying to capture ideas um, from a group of people is always record it. Uh, obviously get permission, but always record it. You can even have it transcribed overnight um, and sent out to everybody the next morning. Um, it's uh, it, it's revolutionized the way that I benefit from conversations because there is so much you miss. Um, I'm, I'm dreadful at multitasking, so I can't listen, make notes and think about what to say all at the same time. So if I can lose one of those, I can listen and think and not have to make notes. I'll make notes and mind map everything afterwards. Um, but yeah, that would be one tip. Record as much, as many conversations as you can. That's brilliant. That's, that's, um, it's a, again, a really simple thing to do and we do miss so much in conversation and that's natural. Um, but, um, but that ability to be able to go back over it, particularly a really important one. Absolutely. I'd say pick up ideas. Yeah. It's saved my, that has saved my bacon on a number of occasions as well. When I've, um, overlooked a certain requirement that was expressed or a, a certain concern, um, the other one I would leave, if I may, is um, it's the it's the winning question at the end of a meeting or a conversation, and this is particularly useful in a conversation that has been about work or um, or in a job interview or a pitch scenario. Um, there's a question that I always ask at the end of every meeting, um, and especially if it's a, a pitch meeting. So, for for the sake of the example, let's assume I'm pitching to do a series of workshops at a big company and they're talking to three other providers. Um, the question I ask, and you're often asked um, at the end of a meeting like that, if you have any questions. And this is the question I always ask at the end is, um, I assume you've been ticking boxes against the criteria you have set for this selection process. Um, I may not get another chance to reassure you. So could you please tell me now if I have failed to reassure you against any of the criteria that you have set for this contract? Um, that is, a, is, I call that the magic question because you cannot lose. So the, you've had the conversation. Um, it might be a pitch scenario, for example, or, or an important um, partnership meeting. Um, one of two things happens. If any of the people that you've been speaking to do have uh, a lingering um, concern about your um, suitability, 
they can express it and you have a chance, the last chance in many cases to reassure them, perhaps pulling out another case study or introducing another um, idea. Um, But what tends to happen in those circumstances is the chair of the panel will look left and right and ask his probably junior colleagues um, if they have any concerns they'd like to raise. And because those outlying members of the panel perhaps don't know as much about the subject matter as they ought to, they, they tend not to raise their concerns for fear of um, demonstrating their lack of understanding. <laughs> um, and so, mm. and, it, and if nobody raises their concerns, the chairman of the panel typically says something positive. No, no, uh, you've done a great presentation. Thank you very much. You know, uh, and that feeds off into the, the others. But crucially, once you've left, and the the meeting has ended, anybody who did have a lingering concern um, tends not to to voice it in conclave after you've left for fear of being criticised for not doing so to give you the opportunity to to respond. Um, Right. And in terms of conversation engineering, if that's a thing, (laughs) <laughs> that's one of that's one of my tricks of the trade because by asking the right question, you're producing a, um, a win-win situation because either you get to reassure them or they don't raise their concerns in private. So, and I know I've been told um, I know that um, I've won quite sizable contracts because I gave people that opportunity. Um, so that would be that would be my last tip for conversation engineering. <laughs> brilliant. No, it's brilliant advice because it's you're not leaving a risk on the table. You've given yourself an opportunity and other people to to take that time to voice their niggling, their you know, it's it's even not not just that they might feel stupid, they just don't know if it's relevant. And mm. uh, and sometimes the most important um, point of resistance is the last thing to be said is you know and so by giving the floor again uh, you you decrease the risk of it um, remaining unsaid that's that's extremely insightful I hadn't thought of it like that because what you've captured there and I'm afraid I'm going to give you another analogy is um, if if you've had a, a wonderful <laughs> meal <laughs> if you have a wonderful meal but the coffee is awful what, what taste do you take out of the restaurant? And you're absolutely right. Conversely, if I may, um, the other trick I do in those circumstances is to concede a failing at the start of the conversation. Um, because uh, I, I, I was on the pitch team for a project for a big company in healthcare in New York, and we were London-based and we didn't have a New York office. Um, now, I knew, having read the brief and studied the proposal, that that was likely to be a sticking point for the prospective client. Um, so what we did in those circumstances, we faced that head on right from the start. And, and I think even in my opening address to them, I said, um, we've done a little bit of a brainstorm here. And we think that your biggest problem with us is going to be the fact that we don't have an office in New York. Um, and I said, I'm going to explain um, three reasons why that's not a problem. And I've also recorded a video from one of our clients um, in Toronto, um, who I asked to talk about their experience of working with us without an office in Toronto. And we played the video. Um, What that did um, 
was it it, um, it prevented them harboring that concern for the rest of the presentation because I knew that if we had not headed that off at the pass, they would be thinking, yes, but they haven't got an office in New York. Yes, but they haven't got an office in New York. Yes, but they haven't got an office in New York all the way through the presentation. And we, we couldn't afford for them to do that because they wouldn't have been picking up on what we really wanted to communicate, which was why we were different, better and remarkable than some of the other agencies they, they might have spoken about. And again, that was a successful pitch. Um, we, we got that. Um, but my favorite was for a big um, credit card company that should remain unnamed for reasons of litigation, presumably. Um, we, we won um, and it was a seven figure contract that we won and I led the pitch. Um, but the person who stood up um, to introduce us at the start of the presentation um, was our favorite client. And she stood up and, and said, I'd like to you know, thank you for this opportunity. I'd like to introduce, and she introduced us all um, and then sat down and, and the, someone on the panel said, hang on a second, what's your role in this? And she said, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm not on the pitch team. I'm, I'm their happiest client. So we had brought the, we had, huh. start, we had started the conversation by, by surreptitiously introducing our happiest client to them. Um, and that set the scene for the rest of the conversation. They knew we were clever. They knew we were creative. They knew we were brave. And they knew we had a happy client. Um, and the conversation changed as a result of that. So it's those little triggers and smart ideas that can make all the difference. And we won that as well. <laughs> well, there's there's an element of surprise and delight, right? That you're starting, that's the scene that you're setting is, um, you will be delighted. Yeah. Um, and you gave that, ex that experience from the beginning. And it was a creative Brilliant. project. So we had to be, to demonstrate our capacity to be creative and that did. And I've mm. spoken to the the clients since then. That was a number of years ago, but they confirmed that that was that played a big, that was a major part of the decision to hire us. I wanted to do something that um, nobody else would do, um, and I was reasonably confident that none none of the other agencies in the pitch were going to do that. Um, uh, and I was right. No, none of the other agencies. Um, brought a client along as a member of their pitch team. It, it was unheard of. So it's it's that um, it's that approach really that that um, just doing something that's going to be um, remembered. Brilliant, <laughs> Mark. Thank you. Uh, I've really enjoyed um, all the stories. You have a phenomenal memory for uh, multiple scenarios, uh, things that happened. Uh, you're definitely. I can see you're tuned in to what's going on for people in the room. Um, just wanted to say a big thank you for joining me today. No, it's my pleasure, Siham. Thank you. It's been great fun. Thank you for listening. You'll find show notes at betterconversations.co forward slash podcast, including more information about my guest, Mark Wormsley. And you'll also find his contact details. So why not let him know what you enjoyed about his point of view? Have you listened to previous episodes? What do you think? What could I be doing differently or adding in? Drop me a line, podcast at betterconversations.co. 
Better Conversations with Siham Sirene is on Apple Podcast and Spotify. If you listen, please rate the podcast. Your vote keeps me honest. Until next time, I'm Siham Sirene, and this has been a Better Conversation. Better Conversations.